0: We will be in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue our walk through our passage. Uh, It was going to be a two-part sermon that has turned into a three-part sermon, and by the end of this will probably be a four-part sermon, Uh, mainly because this is such an important passage, and in light of our circumstances now, but also in homes and all the circumstances that are going on in our lives, You know, uh, I I heard a statistic even in between our two services today that in China, where they were put in uh, isolation even more and have been in for longer, divorce is up 50 percent since isolation started. Uh, And uh, just thinking about that for a second, if you'll stop and meditate on that, you can kind of get an idea of why that is. Uh, If you're used to going to work and you're staying at home and you are with your family the whole time, tensions rise, sadly, and people get upset with the people they're living with and they say, I don't need this anymore. Um, In the world, that's what's happening. And in our society, even, I would not doubt that the same things are true. That's why there's a rise in uh, violence in families and things like that right now. It's because the circumstances where we're together with people, there is definitely a lack of unity in our country. Um, As we come out and as we uh, deal with these issues, we're going to see that we need these truths for us to meditate on and apply to our lives so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So our passage is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Now that you're nice and comfortable, please stand as we read read God's word. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What a passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. We pray now that as we look at your word, that you will help us to understand exactly what it says and what it meant when you wrote through the Apostle Paul these words. And then, Lord, help us to accurately apply it to our own lives and how we should live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called us. Help us, Lord, now. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Unity is possible even with the most diverse of people. Unity is possible even with the most diverse of people. We are all from different backgrounds, different churches, different upbringings, different cities, different states, and in many cases, even often different countries. If we all met in... Almost any other circumstance, we would often have so little in common that we wouldn't even know what to talk about. If we weren't meeting in a church building and if we weren't meeting with our church groups, often we have very little from our upbringings that we can even talk about. I guarantee you we do have some. Some of us might be able to unite on some things like sports. But then again, there's people that would say, no way, I don't even watch sports. So there's this varying degree of people and where they come from and what they think and what they do and how they've been raised that would create a distinct diversity among us, right? And that diversity often would lead to disunity, right? But in our passage today, we say despite all of these distinctions and all of this diversity and the diversity of Jews and Gentiles being brought together in one body, there is a call for unity despite the diversity. And in order for that unity to happen despite the diversity, we must have a right heart attitude and we must be intentional in how we act towards one another. So that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. He's calling them to walk worthy in unity in Christ. In our passage, we have talked about the first three book, or verse, uh, chapters of the book of Ephesians is on the calling of God, right? The calling. The last three chapters are the conduct. Okay, so if I ask that next week, y'all are going to get it, right? This week, is, the first three chapters are the calling, and the last three chapters are the conduct. Right, okay, so the calling is who, God's calling in our life, his effectual call in us, that he, he called us to be his children. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be his adopted children, to radically transform us from children of wrath to adopted heirs of Christ. Along with Christ, our calling is a new position, a new identity, and a new relationship with God. We now have access to God through Christ. That's our new calling. When, often when we think of callings, we think of our career choice. This is my calling in life, right? Uh, Irvin's called to be a realtor, Right? But in this case, our calling is our identity in Christ, that we are children of God, that we're adopted heirs with Christ. That's our calling. This includes both the transformation within, right, and our new relationship with God that we now have access with him. That's our calling. And we have a future hope that we're going to be heirs. We're going to share in the inheritance with Christ. We're going to be in glory together, right? Right? This is our calling, beloved. So in light of that, therefore, in light of our calling, we must walk in a manner worthy of that calling. That's chapter 4, verse 1. It starts with therefore. Therefore is therefore a reason. So our calling should produce our conduct, which is chapters 4 through 6. And it tells us how we should live. Five walks, five ways to live, and one stand. What we stand against. In chapter 6, the enemy. So we live five different ways. In this one, it's walk in unity, walk in love, walk in holiness, walk in wisdom, walk in light, and stand against the enemy. So our conduct is determined by our calling. How we act is based on who we are. Be who you are is a way of saying it, right? So we began to talk about this last week. Today, we continue to examine the worthy walk in unity. The worthy walk in unity. And we saw there are four commands. The first was, live worthy of our calling by God in Christ. Look at verse 1 again. It says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, I'm not going to dig in and completely detail this. But remember how we talked about our lives should balance our calling. The way we should live should reflect just how we were called, right? And if our lives don't match our calling, then what? We're hypocrites. We're not actually living in the power that God has given us, right? Everybody understands this. Okay. So ultimately, this first command was to live worthy of our calling or be who you are in Christ. Live how we are empowered to live. Walk as God has ordained you to walk. Do the good deeds that God has ordained for you to walk in. Demonstrate to the world who we are in Christ. Now, how do we do this? How do we live this out? Well, we grin and bear it. We, we just practice it until we get it. We fake it until we make it. Uh, no, none of that. We walk by faith, through faith, trusting in Christ, And God's power empowers us to do it. Okay? So God works through us to produce the life and the attitudes and the actions that we're supposed to. Remember, Paul had just prayed for the power, for them to be strengthened with power. That they could comprehend the love of God towards them. So as God strengthens us and we understand God's love towards us, then what What happens to us? We are strengthened, and we are motivated to then live the way God wants us to live. Does this make sense? We can't live by ourselves. We need him. Now, we have access to God. So when we fall down and we blow it, we do what? We cry out to him, God, I need you. Help me. I can't do this. Right? So he says, he prayed for them to know the power towards him. Then he prayed that they would have power to do it and that they would comprehend it. And then he tells them, go do it. And the assumption is what? They're going to do it in the power of God. Okay? That God's going to enable them. So this was the introductory command. Live worthy of our calling by God in Christ. Second we saw, live with a humble attitude towards one another in Christ. So this is the heart attitude in verse 2 of how we're supposed to live. It's really introductory, and it only makes the other parts work if you have this hard attitude. If you don't have these hard attitudes, it's absolutely impossible to live in a manner worthy of your calling. So what are the hard attitudes? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. There it is. Pretty hard stuff, isn't it? There are four heart attitudes along with an action here at the end. All of them are related to humility. So here's the question. Beloved, how'd you do? How'd you do this last week? We talked about it last week. All of you, you all walked and lived with all humility last week, right? You watched the message or you were here and you heard the message and you said, yep, I'm going to do this humility thing all week long. How'd you do? Nobody's raising hands. Nobody's saying, yeah, I did great. Yay. (laughs) The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, this is true. This is very true. With all humility and with gentleness, with patience, let's reflect on these words again. Just briefly, just thinking through them. What does humility mean? It means a low view of self, thinking more of others than ourselves. Having the same attitude which was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 6, right? Through 8, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as men, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We all say, I want to follow Jesus. But when he then calls us to be humble like him, we go, oh, but except for that. Right? What is it? Well, that's why he came to die. Praise God, right? Because he knows That we are prone to think much of who? Right? We need a savior, right? Praise God, Jesus came into the world and did what we couldn't do. Right? But does this mean that the Apostle Paul gives us and calls us to live with these humble attitudes and then says, okay, but it's all right, you don't have to do it. No, he wants us to walk in this humility. How do we walk in all humility and gentleness? Back to... The prayer, by the power of God that works within us, by uh, the gospel, understanding his love for us. See, as I hear these words, how about you? When I hear these words being found in the appearance as a man humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, does that humble you? It humbles me. It reminds me, man, he had to do that because I couldn't. I'm not worthy, but he is worthy. And he died for me. And so therefore, I'm empowered to what? And motivated to what? Say no to myself, and yes to others, and most of all to Christ. Right? That's the humble attitude we need. And it comes as we reflect on and understand the love of God in Christ. Then he says, with all gentleness. Again, gentleness is strength under control strength under control that's what gentleness is it's not this weak wimpy people we're strength under control isn't that jesus by the way gentleness is a fruit of the spirit it's that idea that jesus came he was all powerful he could walk on water he could do great miracles but yet he was gentle he was strength under control So where do I get that self-control? Where do I get that gentleness? Answer? From the spirit that lives within me. It's God empowering me to do these things. That's where I get it. You say, well, Mike, I didn't do a real good job with that last week. Well, is it possible that your attention was not on the gospel and wasn't on the Lord? That's when, that's when. Self-control goes out the window. If you're watching or you're seeing a news channel or you're reading something on Facebook or you're talking or interacting with somebody and they have some outlandish idea and you're like, what in the world is this person thinking? They absolutely have lost their minds. If your attention is on them and on how they've offended you, And spoke against what you think is rational and not on the gospel, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be out of control. And you're gonna respond without gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. How we do it? Well, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, I had moments of victory last three. moments and then moments of utter failure anybody else moments where i was like man christ you're everything and yeah that person doesn't get it but that's okay i'll be gentle i'll love them anyway and then there's moments like what are you thinking samuel why did you do that You've lost your mind. I need the Lord. How about you? I'm so thankful Christ Jesus came into the world to die for this sinner. Unity is found with all gentleness. Responding and interacting with one another with all gentleness. And with patience. Meaning, being able to bear up under provocation. (laughs) How patient were we? When provoked, we didn't return revile for revile. We were like Christ who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sin on his body On the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness' sake. For by his wounds you were healed. Wow. Beloved, do you get it? How are we patient? We're patient by keeping our eyes fixed on the one who is patient with us. Right? For we are all like sheep. We have gone astray. But God was patient with us. Even though we were provoking him, we were children of wrath. We were opposed to him. He loved us. He was kind and he was patient with us. Beloved, we have got to have these hard attitudes. And if we have these hard attitudes, it will show up in a, a hard attitude that shows tolerance for one another in love. Look at that, look at that little phrase. shows tolerance for one another in love. I want to develop this a little bit more today. What does it mean to show tolerance for one another? Literally, this means bearing up under mistreatment and injustices. It's very close to patience, isn't it? Bearing up under mistreatment or injustices. Enduring one another's harshness or misunderstandings. Now, I want to put a caveat on this. This does not mean we put up with blatant sin. This is putting up with those perceived, very important, perceived mistreatments. In other words, listen, this happens regularly in marriage, doesn't it? You think, or even if you just have a roommate, you get this. You have perceptions where you think somebody thinks one thing, And you get all bent out of shape because you think that they think this. And then you say, well, that's not very kind. And you get all upset over a perceived misunderstanding or a miscommunication or they did something. For example, you walk in and you sit down on the couch. And you're thinking as you sit down on the couch, the husband that is, you're sitting on the couch Man, what a hard day. Man, that was so intense. I just need to sit a second. I'm dying. I'm hurting. I'm struggling inside. That person was so intense to me. My life is tough. I need you, Lord. Help me. I just need a second. And the wife in the kitchen looks over and sees the guy sitting on the couch. He didn't say hi to me. He didn't even come in and give me the kiss that he always gives me. What's his problem? He doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. What's the perception that the wife might have? That the husband's lost his mind and he's mean and he's evil and he's my enemy. When in fact the husband is is sitting on the couch going... I need the Lord. This was a horrible day. you all see this? So what do we do? Well, this is the point where we must show tolerance towards one another. Perceived misunderstandings. Perceived perception is often a wicked enemy. Not taking our thoughts captive. Not thinking on what's true. It'll happen here, by the way. In about two weeks, we'll have about 20 to 30 more people in this room. And some of us are going to be like, hi, how are you doing? And the perception is from that person that's just about to shake your hand, I want to show love to you. But the other person, when they see that person coming with a hand, they're thinking, that person hates me. He wants me sick. He doesn't love me. Now, is that perception true? I don't think so. I think it's wrong. But perceptions will just create what? Disunity. And before you know it, brothers will look at brothers and say, you're my enemy. You hate me. So what do we do? Well, I think this is where we're going to need to show tolerance to one another and love. That's what's going to have to happen. If we don't, we're in for a lot of trouble, aren't we? As we come back together. Now, this, pers- this tolerance, though, is not tolerating false teachers, and it's not tolerating rank immorality in the church. Do you understand? That's not what we're talking about here. How do I know that? Well, look at Ephesians 5. In the same context. In the same context, Ephesians 5, 6, he says, be tolerant in chapter 4, chapter 5, he says, in chapter 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. I thought you told me to be tolerant. But instead, even expose them. Wait, if I'm supposed to be tolerant, I shouldn't expose anything, right? No. Context, context, context. The greatest of these is context. It describes what we should be tolerant of. The perception in chapter 4 is the tolerance of the diversity of the body coming together. Jews and Gentiles coming together. People with different cultural understandings and misunderstandings. Maturity issues, as we'll talk about in a second. Maturity issues are things that we have to be tolerant of. But not rank Evil and false teaching. that has to be exposed. Do you understand? Doctrine, false doctrine will be exposed. It has to be. But whether or not you are of a political persuasion, or whether you watch CNN or not, or Fox News is not something that we should be divided over. Do you understand? Very important. We've got to have that humble attitude or we're in trouble. You understand? False teachers and their evil teaching must be exposed, but tolerance of letting immaturities and differences and different backgrounds that's what we're talking about. Putting up with customs and traditions, old differences, customs and traditions. You know, there, I've even had some discussions should we have drive up services? It's not traditional. It's not traditional. I can't believe those people that come to the drive-up service. Can you? They don't sit in a building. Notice who I'm talking to. The people sitting in the building. How would the illustration go for the drive-up people? Oh, I was judged the other day by somebody. They said that I came to a drive-up service. Do you, do you understand how this is just wrong, altogether wrong? We have got to be tolerant of one another. We've got to love one another. If somebody's sitting and watching the live stream because they're immune compromised, man, I'm telling you right now listen closely. Snedekers, you're not allowed to come for a little bit longer. They're not. I'm sorry. We don't want them to come, do we? We want them to come when there's they're safe to come to a degree, right? There's a there's a balance to this. We've gotta love each other, we've got to be tolerant to one another. We've gotta to, got to be humble towards one another. Right? All right. So traditions, come customs, also maturity levels. Maturity comes with understanding and, and Listen to the word, implied in the word maturity is something very important. What do you think it is? Those that were at the early service don't say it. Maturity implies what? Time, time. Something doesn't mature overnight. It takes time. By the way, the context implies that maturity is one of the very essential things for unity. People have to mature. They have to mature in Christ in order for unity to happen. Okay? But if everybody, it takes time for us to mature, what does that mean that the more mature people have to do with the less mature people? They have to be tolerant and patient and kind and humble. We're not at the same place at the, in the book. We're not there. Do you understand? Some people are on page 400. And some of us are on 200. Do you understand? And time, time gets us there. So we must tolerate one another. We must be gentle and patient and humble towards those. Look at four thirteen, Ephesians 4.13. This is the context. The goal is unity. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, I thought we already had the unity of the faith. There's only one faith. And don't we already have the knowledge of the Son of God? Well, this is a growing, maturing knowledge, isn't it? And our faith, does our faith grow and mature? Oh, absolutely. I don't know about you guys, but mine's grown in the last couple months. How about yours? And it's grown in ways I didn't think it was going to grow. (laughs) Do you understand? It's not necessarily trusting whether I was going to die or not. It's trusting how I'm going to manage to shepherd a bunch of people that think totally different. I'm going to have to trust the Lord for that. The elders are going to have to trust the Lord for that. We're going to have to trust the Lord. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take humility. Now, good, Again, there is a way, there is a way for us to tolerate it, everybody very well. Stay far apart from everybody you possibly can. That would be the way. But if you do that, let me ask you a question. If you do that, are you really displaying the power of God at work in you? Or are you hiding from your heart issues that need to be changed? I want, I want to speak directly to the ones that are in this room right now. Hear me. This is very strange because I'm also talking to the ones that live stream at the same time. So it's very hard. There are people on the live stream that are considering coming back. But if the people in the room treat the people that are watching on the live stream like they're less than Christians because they didn't come the last two weeks, then shame on you. You're not walking in worthy calling of your worthy calling. Do you understand? If somebody's here or not here, You need to trust the Lord to work in their lives. Otherwise, you're elevating yourself over them. And I would be very careful. Don't do that. That's sin. Do you understand? You watch the news and you look at people and you say, man, that guy's nuts. They're crazy. What are they doing? We've been practicing it for two months, watching TV and reading stuff. Be careful. When we come back together, we need to love each other. That means with humility and gentleness and kindness and grace. At the same time, live stream people, as you come back, listen to me closely. If these people accidentally run up to you and want to give you a big hug, don't take them that they're hating you. They love you. They just are having some problems figuring out how to navigate this whole thing. Does everybody understand? It's where we're at. The cool thing is is we can do this by the power of God that works within us. We can come back together and we can do this. Even if there was another 50 people in this room next week, y'all will be okay, right? By the way, the deaf are coming in at 1230, roughly, 1230. So I'm going to try to end a little early. You know why? Because I want you to have fellowship. But I also know that the deaf, this is their first Sunday that's going to be in here, half of them, not all of them. And many of them believe wholeheartedly that you have to wear masks. And guess how many masks are in this room? Zero! Up oh, one, and it's down. Right? So, what does that mean? Immediately, we're going to be challenged with our deaf congregation when they walk in at 12:30 and we're still here and we all don't have masks on. Facts. You say, well, Pastor Mike, you just need to get tougher. Tell him to get over it. Uh, You militant ones need to be quiet. You need to take a humble pill. You really need the Lord God to work in your heart and give you some humility. I'm just being honest. We all need to humbly seek the Lord and be gracious and kind to one another. Tolerate one another. That was harsh. I'm sorry. But it's the truth. It's what he's talking about here. We need to humble hearts, and we are unified by focusing on what unites us. What unites us, beloved? What is it that unites us? Let me ask you a question. Let's see if you can get it. What unites us? The Christ. Right. Jesus. The gospel. The truth. Right? Right. So what does the humble person say? This is what the humble person says. You ready? Quote, what God has said is always true. That's still humble. What God has said is always true. That's humble. You know why? Because it's affirming the authority of Scripture. Which means what? God is true. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying he says is true. What he says is true. That is humble. But it also says this the humble person says, what I think outside of Scripture may be true. May be true. But I could be wrong. That's what the humble person says. Did you hear that? See, look, I know that this is inerrant. This is inerrant, this has no errors. The Word of God is authoritative and special revelation from God. It's perfect. But my opinion outside of this could be wrong. And yours too. Do you hear me? You say, well, what about wisdom? What about wisdom? Yeah, what about wisdom? <laughs> The fact of the matter is, is wisdom comes from God. A lot of people think they're wise, but they're really not. Matter of fact, before I was saved, what I thought was wise was actually foolish. And what was foolish, I thought was wise. This is why we have to be careful with where we get our information of what wisdom is. Do you understand? Do you understand? I find it so ironic that one of the greatest arguments being made nowadays is science says this is what's true. Science says this is what's true. But isn't it ironic that science says that God didn't create the world in six days? That's what science says. At the same time, I think science, the Bible, shows that science is true in certain areas. That whatever science says can be true as long as it lines up with what scripture says. But otherwise, it's not necessarily authoritative. Why? Because humans are fallible. We are. And humility says, I'm going to give grace. And I'm going to stay humble. Are you dying on hills that need to be died on? Are you focused on the things that really should be focused on? Unity happens when we don't die on hills that don't matter. Did I say that right? Yeah. Unity happens when we don't die on hills that don't matter. In other words, when we avoid dying on hills that are useless. What do I mean by dying on a hill? Taking up arms, being militant, I'm going to fight for this no matter what. I'm going to fight. I'm going to give one example, and it's probably going to blow some of you away. Dr. Fauci says everything, everything that Dr. Fauci says is true. That right there is a hill I am not dying on. I'm not dying on it. I'm not going to die on it either way. Okay, do you understand what I mean by that? You come up and say, Dr. Fauci is right, and I'm going to say, that's a good opinion. And Somebody walks up to me and says, Dr. Fauci is wrong. And I'm going to say, that's a good opinion. I'm not dying on those hills, beloved. There are more important things for me to die on. I got kicked out of a church for this one. I'll take that. I'm not going to get kicked out of a church over whether Dr. Fauci is true or not, whether to wear a mask or not. I'm sorry I'm not. And if you are, Please be careful. Let's die on what matters. There's unity in everything else. Right? Diversity. Let's move on. Next one. We've got to get through these points. Live intentionally to maintain the unity in Christ. Look at verse 3. I don't know what it is. But this is so important. This stuff is so important. Do you understand how important this is? Oh, please. So important. It's the only way you're going to survive at your jobs, by the way, too. Ephesians 4, 3. It's the only way your marriage is going to work either, by the way. Only way if you think this way. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is putting into practice the attitudes previously mentioned with the goal of maintaining unity. Let's make a few observations real quick. It says, be diligent to preserve. It implies intentional, being diligent, intentionally pursuing this. This is something we need to commit to and follow through on. We must be intentional to do it. We must pursue unity at all costs, okay? Not at the exclusion of truth. But in all other cases, we have to be intentional in this. Notice second, it's, it is an intentional pursuit to maintain something already established. Notice that it says, being diligent to preserve. It, preserve. What does that imply? That implies that it's already established. Now, listen closely. Listen closely. Do we have unity between the drive up service, the in the building service, and the live stream service. Absolutely. It's already established. It's already established. It's already established by who? Christ. And by the Spirit working in us. And by the God who is overall, in all, and through all. God has already established that, it's already determined. So what do we have to do? We have a responsibility. It's just to maintain what's already established. And by the way, it goes outside this walls. It goes outside of our church. It goes to the universal body of Christ. Now, it's very interesting in the ecumenical movement. The ecumenical movement is basically calling for what? It's calling for unity across denominations and faiths. Different faiths, right? And it's trying to make people come together and believe things that are different. Okay? Now that unity, interfaith and ecumenicalism and everybody coming together, Muslims and Jews and Hindus and Christians all come together, is that unity possible? Nope. No matter what you do, you're never going to make that. Promise. It won't happen. Why? Because that unity was not established by God. God never established that unity. God said there's really only two groups. Those that are in His body and those who are outside of His body. We're not maintaining something that's not there. We're maintaining what's in Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Does everybody understand that? Now, how well are we doing that? Well, not very good. Why? That's next week's message. Ultimately, it comes down to a doctrinal delusion, a doctrinal error. As doctrine is abandoned, disunity happens. Do you understand? We'll talk about that next week. But here, he's talking about maintaining what's already established. A good illustration of this is the, is the home. A husband and a wife are two, and when they get married, what do they become? One. Is that covenant is that covenant unbreakable? It's very interesting. Well, yes and no. God what Jesus said, what God has put together, let no man separate. So he established whether you were a believer or not, when you got married, guess what? That was established, predetermined by God that you are together. You're one. That's it. That's what he determined. That's what marriage is. Now, the problem is in our society, in our culture, maintaining that unity is not done very well, is it? Why? Well, because people think that the unity isn't important. It's not real. a matter of fact, even Christians, why is it that in Christian statistics for marriage, it's still 50% or more Christians get divorced. What God has put together, let no man separate. Why? Well, because we're not saying that the two became one. We're not really believing what God has established. We're not standing on that truth. Right? What has to happen for that unity to stay? in the home, in a Christian home, these same attitudes. Gentleness, patience, humility, tolerance of one another, doctrinal purity. That's the only way that you have unity. Right? That's how we have to maintain it. If the church is having problems with marriages staying together, how... Should we expect it to be any different with churches staying together? Why do people change churches so much in America? I'm just, I am just—I know some of us in the room, you've come from other places, and you're like, Pastor Mike's judging me now. No, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm just asking some really good questions we need to think on, okay? How do we maintain the unity of the body if we're changing churches every 15 days? That was in hyperbole. See, here's our problem. We go to church for the wrong reason. We go to get something. We go for felt needs. We go for what people give me. We don't go to love other people way too often. How are we going to maintain unity if our view of the church is that the church is to give me something? The view of the church should be to love and to put others above ourselves. Do you understand every marriage would survive if both spouses had no expectations? Did you hear me? Every marriage would survive if both spouses had no expectations. Is that not true for the church too? Now, hear me. Is there a time to leave a church? Absolutely. When? When one God, one Lord, one spirit is not the focus. If the truth is not being stood for and on, that's the time to leave. But otherwise, we need to stop dying on hills that we shouldn't be dying on. Yes. This is hard. I know. We've got, beloved, we've got to put others above ourselves. It's the only way we're going to survive this. We've got to walk in humility. We've got to let our preferences and our misunderstanding and our perceived hurt feelings, we're going to have to let these things go. Otherwise, you're looking at what our church is going to look like in about two months. Do you hear me? It's going to look exactly like this in two months. What do I mean by that? If we can't get along, when we come back together, we're going to slay each other. And there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings and people are going to leave. We have got to be intentional to preserve the unity. Of the spirit that he established in Christ. Don't die on hills that are not in scripture. Don't do it in your marriages. Don't do it in your families. Don't do it in your church. Okay? There's one hope. It's in Christ Jesus. Stand on this. I'm not saying don't stand on this. Stand on this. But everything else, we're going to have to let a lot go. We're going to have to trust the Lord to mature people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Lord, I know I fail at this so many times. We're going to need your grace, God. We're going to need your power. We're going to need your strength. We're going to need your ability. We pray that we won't put ourselves over others, that we'll want to serve one another and love one another. Mature us, God. Help us to... Point each other to the one true unifying truth, and that is you, God, the one true and only God, the God of the Bible. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to rely upon you, depend upon you, and repent quickly, Lord, when we offend. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.